you have your Bible, would you turn with me, please, to the last book in the Old Testament? <clears throat> While you're finding your place, a word of appreciation to our ushers and to our trustees. Uh, we came in this morning to church, <clears throat> and somewhere in the heat AC system, there's a problem. And uh, so, though normally uh, the season hasn't called for heat yet, uh, and we would have a little bit of AC running more than likely in the sanctuary this morning, uh, it is not functioning. We do have the fan overhead fans running. Uh, Men, if you get a little bit uncomfortable in your jacket, please feel free to continue to wear it. No, that's not what I was going to (laughs) say. Please feel free to slip out of your jacket. That would be just fine. But again, to our ushers and to our trustees, trustees in particular, uh, we are grateful to you for your ministry. And I'm sure, knowing these gentlemen, First thing tomorrow morning, they will be on the phone with someone who can correct it. So thanks, and in our appreciation to our trustees and our ushers. Pray with me, please. Father, thank you for this Lord's Day. It's not our day. Some of us are fooled at times in thinking, well, Sunday's my day, and it isn't. It's the Lord's Day. And... In all candor, if we understand the scriptures correctly, if we have to have one day out of seven for ourselves, it ought to be a Monday through a Saturday, not Sunday. Lord, help us with priorities. The world in which we live calls to us on all sides, and establishing priorities is difficult. Maintaining them is even more difficult. So help us, we pray, O God, to set our affection on things that are above and not on things on the earth. May the Spirit of God teach us From the word of God this morning, we need to hear from heaven. We ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. This morning I began a study, we began a study, I trust, in the book of Malachi. A book about which many people only know one thing. And that is that it's the last book in the Old Testament. Now I have a lot of Baptist friends, uh, and that's how I grew up. But I have a lot of Baptist friends who also know a second thing about the book of Malachi. They believe it teaches tithing. It does deal with finances. I will give them that. Now, I don't say these two things as an indictment against anyone. If there is any indictment included in this, it has to do with preachers. (coughs) Excuse me. Very few preachers preach through the book of Malachi. I won't ask for a show of hands, but... How many of you have been in a church where, on a series of Sundays, there was a series of consecutive messages given from the book of Malachi? Again, no show of hands, but probably precious few. We, preachers, don't preach on the book of Malachi as much as we should, and I don't know why. Uh, I have asked some of my minister friends and been given some reasons, but I don't find any book really that's much more relevant much more pertinent in the, the uh, lessons that can be drawn from it than the book of Malachi. I want to mention four, okay? If you wonder, has the preacher gone off his rocker, preaching on the last little book, and we don't even, we have a hard time finding it. If he didn't say it was the last book in the Old Testament, uh, what in the world, Pastor, are you thinking about when you, you, you take a book like that? Well, I want to suggest to you that there are a number of things, and I'm going to mention four, 
that are particularly pertinent and relevant that come right out of Matthew, and I almost said the Gospel of Matthew, and that would have been all right too, I think. But there are at least four things which come out of Matthew, excuse me, Malachi, that are pertinent and relevant for the church in 2015. Number one, Malachi speaks about religion without a heart. Religion that is form. Religion that is ritual and doesn't get death of the heart. It never touches the heart. And Malachi is interested in the heart. If Malachi were here today, I think Malachi would have echoed something like I said a while ago. <clears throat> think of the words. <clears throat> what are we doing here? Is this form? Is this simply a ritual that we go through? Because many of us, uh, our parents took us to church when we were old enough to go to the nursery. And it has become, out of 20 years or 50 years or 70 years, it has just become a habit that on Sunday morning we go to church. Now, I think that's a good habit, by the way. All right? I think that's a good habit, by the way. But it needs to be more than that. Malachi spoke against a religion without a heart. Religion that was just form. Paul spoke of a religion which has a form of godliness but no power. I believe Malachi is talking about the same thing. People went to synagogue or to temple, much like some folks go to church today. You pick up an order when you walk in the door and you go through the order. Let's see. After words of welcome, we're going to sing hymn number 338. And while we sing hymn number 338 at Calvary, the ushers are going to come. Now, we plug in another hymn next week and do the same thing. Is that what worship is to us? There's no heart in it. It's just one, three, four, in some routine. Malachi was interested in the heart. Churches need to be interested in worshipers with a heart. Second thing. This book speaks about divorce and remarriage. In Malachi's day, Jewish husbands were divorcing Jewish wives and marrying Gentile women. And this matter of divorce and remarriage, can you tell me anything that's any more pertinent than that today? In our society, family is so fractured, so torn apart, that there are many sociologists who no longer believe that the family is the basic unit of our society. What a commentary. What days we have come to in 2015. So many people believing that the family is just gone. It's no longer the basic unit of our society. Malachi speaks about this matter. The third thing is that uh, Malachi faced, that I believe the church faces today, is skepticism. I think you can understand religion without a heart when I spoke of that. Divorce and marriage. But, Pastor, what about that matter of skepticism? Skepticism. Well, what I mean by that is a question that is thought, if not raised. What's the benefit of serving God? After all, the righteous don't seem to be any better off than the unrighteous. That's skepticism. Why serve God then? 
If I'm no better off in terms of this world because I serve God than the unrighteous, then why should I bother about serving God? Malachi answers that question. The fourth subject Malachi speaks about is a matter of finances. You know, folks, uh, it doesn't get too much more personal than this. Church people are known in some places and in some churches. Okay, let me qualify that. For sitting on their wallet. Annual business meeting comes along and the Board of Finance labors and they do labor over a budget for the coming year. I mean, how do you know what the expenses are going to be in, in October? Is the AC out? Are we going to have to put in a new AC? Nobody knows. Board of Finance labors over this and presents a budget. I don't recall in my years of having the sweet privilege of standing in this pulpit. I don't ever recall an annual budget presented by our Board of Finance of anybody voting against it. Now, there might have been somebody. I just don't, I, I, I really, honestly say to you, I don't remember that. I don't remember uh, Morris Weaver or the Chairman of the Board of Finance getting up and saying, we, we pass out the budget uh, and you folks have had 10 days to look it over. Um, we move that the budget as be adopted as presented. I don't remember anybody standing up and saying, I object. But I look at the figures. I'm given a copy of the amount of the offering. And I get a copy of budget receipts as opposed to the budget in detail every three months. I don't know who gives what. I don't want to know. If you ever, listen to me, dear people, if you ever have a pastor who wants to know who gives what, fire him. It's none of his business. You might have given $25,000 last Sunday. I wouldn't know it. It's none of my business. However, I do say this. When I look at receipts compared to budget over three months, our financial secretary does the math for me, and uh, I, I get whether the figure is in brackets or whether it's not in brackets. That leads me to say there are times when the Lord's people vote yes on a budget and sit on their wallet when the offering plates pass. And often I hear, well, I gave to a mission station. God bless your heart. Teen Valley Ranch, Transworld Radio, all of our missions agencies need support. But hear me well. The Bible talks about the saints of God supporting the church of God. And I believe the church ought to support the missions agencies. Now, not everybody would agree with me, but I think I can show you that the Word of God says the saints of God ought to support the church of God. I didn't expect to hear any, any amens on that, but it's still true. Malachi speaks about finances. Jesus said, where your heart is, there will your treasure be. Now, you can get around that in any way you want to. But I'm going to come back and say, Jesus said, where you put your money, that's where your heart is. Malachi speaks about all these things. He speaks about religion without a heart. He speaks about divorce and remarriage. He speaks about skepticism, and he speaks about money. Those are four good reasons to study the book of Malachi. The 
challenges of the 20th century, 21st century church, 2015, the challenges of the church today parallel those challenges in Malachi's day. They go right down the line. We need to hear what Malachi had to say. And God willing, in these next few Sundays, that's what we're going to do. I want to introduce the book, first of all. I've given you some overall things about the book, but I want to uh, go back a little bit further and, and, and introduce the book of Malachi to us. If you look at Malachi chapter 1, verse 1, you'll find these words. The oracle, note that word, say a word about it later. The oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. This is part of the setting, part of the background. Malachi looks at the nation Israel in a particular setting, in a particular situation. Here's what was going on when Malachi wrote his book. In the centuries that preceded Malachi, the nation Israel had been comprised of 12 tribes. But there came a day when civil war erupted, and the northern 10 tribes formed their own kingdom. So the 12 tribes split. Ten tribes went to the north. They were referred to as Israel. Two tribes in the south. The southern tribes referred to as Judah. They gathered pretty much around Jerusalem, and they followed the uh, line of David and and, uh, the patterns of David uh, much more closely. Well, the ten tribes in the north became wicked and idolatrous. And finally, God brought discipline. And that discipline was in the form of carrying the ten tribes away to Assyria in the year 721 B.C. That left a small nation, just two tribes, Judah, gathered around, as I've already indicated, Jerusalem. But soon Judah followed the path, tribes of Judah followed the path of Israel in the north. They became wicked and idolatrous. And between 606 and 586 B.C., God in discipline carried them away to Babylon. The north went to Assyria. The south went to Babylon, captivity. After the passing of time, Ezra was able to lead some of the people back to the land. And there was a revival. Temple was rebuilt. And soon there was rekindled a fire in the hearts of the Jewish people. But sadly... Soon, the flame of that revival flickered and went out. Then, Nehemiah came on the scene, came to the land, and again, there was revival. There was a turning back under Nehemiah to the word of God. The walls of the city were rebuilt. But again, history repeated itself. That flame of revival also flickered and went out. And it's at this time that Malachi comes on the scene. Some revival short-lived under Ezra. Some revival, again, short-lived under Nehemiah. The nation is in the pits. It's in a state of ruin. Abject poverty. The crops are ruined. The Gentiles were laughing at Israel. And Malachi, the prophet of God, is brought to the scene by God to deliver God's message to a heartless and dead people. That's a little bit more about background and setting, but we should notice something about the prophet. 
Um, I'm not sure this is absolutely unique. I'm, I rather think that it is, and I didn't have time to research all of it that I wanted to do. But if you will look at, again at verse 1, the oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. And that's all we know about Malachi. You know, it's amazing. You read the opening verses, many other books of the Bible, and the author is introduced. And you can trace some kind of family lineage. You can trace whose father was or a whole lot more. With Malachi, this is it. You can start at Genesis 1 and read to the end of the Old Testament. You'll not find out any more about Malachi than you have right here in verse 1. That's it. But you know what? I think therein lies one of the greatest lessons, not only of the book of Malachi, but of the Bible. And the lesson is this. God is far more interested in the message than he is the messenger. You know, I don't know whether they work on Sunday or not. I think at least one of them does. But if you get, if you're at home this afternoon and you hear a knock at the door and uh, there's a, a lady or a gentleman standing there in a FedEx or a UPS uniform, do you ask of them, say, tell me something, where'd you go to school? Uh, what was your class rank when you graduated? How long have you been with this company? We don't ask them all that, do we? No. We take the message or the box or the letter or whatever it is and we sign to indicate receipt and that's it. That person goes their way. Why? That person delivered the message but that person was not of supreme importance at all. The person's importance was only in getting the message there. The message is what's important. And that's how it is with church. That, ha- that is how it is. It, has, it ought to be with Bible classes. The messenger is not important. The message is important. We get the message. We hang on to the message. And God help us not to let the, the messenger detract from the message. You know, Dr. McGee was a friend of mine. He and Ruth were in our home a number of times. One of the things I most admired about J. Vernon McGee was he always, without fail, I never heard him refer to himself in any other way. He would stand up and say, I'm just the messenger boy. That's all. He never referred to the books he had written. He never referred to how many homes, possibly, potentially, the five-volume set that he has done, how many of those were out. He never referred to anything like that. All the man ever said, I'm just the messenger boy. Now, sometimes I, I knew him well enough. Sometimes I said to him, Doc, you got another reason behind that. And he'd look at me and he'd say, what are you talking about, boy? I'd say, sometimes you say things people don't like. So you say, it's the message. Don't worry about the messenger. That's not a bad strategy either. But anyway, that's another matter. It is the message that is important. I fear in the days in which we are living, and I think, unfortunately, it will become more so as the days go along, we have gotten the order turned around in the church. It's the messenger that's important. I'm afraid there are churches that uh, don't examine based on God's word what the messenger saying. They're talking about the messenger, not the message. Dear people, I urge you, don't let anyone ever 
revival speaker, Bible conference speaker, preacher, pastor, whatever. Don't let anyone stand in this pulpit and say things that are contrary to this book without challenging them. Don't let them do that. You're giving away God's Word. It's the message that's important and not the messenger. What do we know about this man? His name is all. Malachi. That's it. Again, verse 1. The oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. Look at that little word oracle. The normal meaning of this word in a context like we have it here in the book of Malachi means a, a message of judgment, a message of condemnation. The oracle, the message of judgment, the message of condemnation. And so Malachi's message is, it is a message of discipline, it is a message of judgment on the nation Israel. But it is striking to me, as I looked at this word and did some work on it, sometimes this same word that's rendered oracle in verse 1, that word is translated burden. Burden. In fact, there are some translations, uh, older translations of uh, the word of God that begins verse 1 with the burden, using that word, the burden. I think and I hope that any man who's ever preached has something in his heart that is akin to a burden. The message that Malachi is going to give weighs heavily on his heart. The prophet doesn't take joy in what he's saying to the people. He doesn't take pleasure in what he's saying to the people. It is a burden on his heart. I'm convinced that the way Malachi felt was the way any preacher ought to feel. There's a burden to take this that's in the Word of God and deliver it to the people. Move on with me to verse 2. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, How hast thou loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? And I want to break off the reading of verse 2 right there, please. What a tragedy that God has to say to Israel, I have loved you. When does the creature have a right to hear the Creator say, I have loved you? The Creator has demonstrated His love. He has spoken it and He has demonstrated it. Where does the creature get off saying, How have you loved me? How have you loved me? God in His grace not only says, I have loved you, but he demonstrates that love. He did to Israel, he does to me, and he does to you. The heart, at the heart of the message of Malachi is the thought that God loves Israel. And in Malachi's day, Israel didn't recognize it. you imagine that? God says, I have loved you. The nation says, how? How? How blind can a nation be? How blind can a people be? But this is an attitude that Israel has in Malachi's day. God's truth is presented and they say, I don't see that. I don't understand that. Uh, Look with me, please, at verse 6, chapter 1. A son honors his father, a servant his master. Then if I'm a father, God says, where's my honor? And if I'm a master, where's my respect? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priest who despise my name. But you say, he said this to the priests. And you say, how have we despised your name? God says, you despise my name. I don't get that. 
I don't see that. I don't know that. Look at chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. <clears throat> this is a prevailing attitude in the nation of Israel that day. <clears throat> 13, 14, chapter 2. And this is another thing you do. You cover the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. Yet you say, for what reason? Why? We don't know that we've done anything like that. Verse 17, same chapter. <clears throat> you have wearied the Lord with your words. And yet you say, how have we wearied him with our words? How? Chapter 3, verse 7. <clears throat> chapter 3, verse 7. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord. But you say, how shall we return? What's the need for this? Verse 8, will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we done that? They were keeping their own finances. And God says you're robbing God. And they look at him and say, how? Don't understand that. I don't get that. Verse 13, your words have been arrogant against me, says the Lord. You say, what have we spoken against? Can't you just hear Israel? Can't you just hear the tone of voice in that? What have we done? Time and time again, God speaks the truth to them and they say, we don't see that. What's the problem? The problem basically is they are insensitive to the truth of God. They are absolutely insensitive to, the, to God and to His Word. He gives them His Word. They don't even recognize it. Now, <clears throat> time's gotten away from me. I'm going to try to bring things to a close here in just a moment. Before we get too far in our condemnation of the nation of Israel, okay? And we can do that. After this list of three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine things I have just mentioned, uh, they, they hear the truth. God speaks the truth. They say, we don't understand that. We don't see that. Nine times. And in our minds, I think we can quickly go too far in our condemnation of the nation Israel at this point. Remember, at the time Malachi delivered his message, the Jews were in abject poverty. The Gentiles around them were making fun of them. They ridiculed them. They despised them. And these poor, despised people asked God, how can you love us when all this is going on? A similar thing, may I say, a similar thing can happen today. You ever heard someone in times of a disaster, flood, ask the question, if God loves us, how can He let this happen? Israel was insensitive to the truth and wrong to ask the questions that they did, but under a given set of circumstances, any one of us could ask the same question. And we'd be just as wrong as Israel was. From there, the latter part of well, all of verse 2 down through verse 5, God demonstrates His love. He's already said it. Verse 2, He said, I have loved you. In verses 2 through 5, He demonstrates His love for Israel. I'm not going to deal with those verses because there's a, a prominent question that needs to be raised there and I want to deal with it. I will pick up, Lord willing, at this point, I intended to, 
get to it today, but I, I'm not going to do it. Uh, I, I do want to deal with it, and it causes us to turn back once again to the history of the nation of Israel, talking about Jacob and about Esau. And there's a significant question that can be raised there. I want to close with this. It happened with Israel, and it will happen to the church. When we become insensitive to God's word, when our worship becomes heartless, it is routine that we go through. It is a ritual that we follow every Sunday. That produces, that can produce, it doesn't have to, but it can produce an insensitivity. Are we insensitive to God's truth? Have we been lulled to sleep because we perhaps don't change the order of worship every Sunday? Pardon the personal illustration because I think it's true of a lot of in this room. From the time I grew up and was able to, for my folks to bring me into the worship service at Salem Baptist Church in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, <clears throat> we would always sing the doxology. Always. That's how that service opened, with the doxology. To my knowledge and to my recollection, to the best of my recollection, now maybe some of you can correct me, and that'd be fine. But to the best of my ability, unless it was, uh, unless it was uh, maybe a, a, a Christmas Sunday morning or an Easter Sunday morning when we had the music and, and, and the, the uh, chancel choir presentation of the special day's music, to my knowledge... We have always sung the doxology. Always sung the doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. That is a general call for everyone to praise God. Somebody tell me, I don't usually ask this from the pulpit, but somebody tell me what the next phrase is in doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow, and then what? Praise Him all How many? All creatures here below. I wonder, have we become insensitive? When we were singing that this morning, did thoughts of praise to God well up in your heart? Or did you just think, well, we'll sing this because this is the time of service you always sing it. Dear people, that is a sign. If that happened with any of us, me, you, any of us, that is a sign of our insensitivity. And insensitivity always produces thanklessness. It never fails. It produces thanklessness. And therefore, if it has happened and we sing, praise God from whom all blessings flow, our worship is ritualistic no more. Well, think about what we're singing. Have we become so much like Israel that we are insensitive to what we're doing? in the house of God, and in the worship of God. I ask the question, have we? But I think that each one of us as an individual has to answer that question. I don't think I can answer it for the church. I don't think you can answer it for the church. I can answer it for Ross. And you can answer it for, and you put your name in there. Did you really this morning think, and were you praising God, when you were singing the doxology. And don't tell me when, I'm, when we're going out, that's just a little thing. No, it's not a little thing. 
The next step after insensitivity becomes a thanklessness. It's not a little thing. A major thing. How is it with you today? I love you. God bless you for coming to church. But I want you to answer that question this morning. Every one of you. Have you become insensitive to what we do when we're here? I've done this since I was a baby, we say. My response, pardon me, is so what? If it doesn't mean anything, then you just wasted a lot of years. If what we're doing here doesn't touch your heart, we're like Israel in, in, in Malachi's day. If, if, it's, if we are insensitive to this, we need to do, I think we need to do one of two things. Either get right with God and correct the insensitivity so that it won't lead to thanklessness, or just close the place down and everybody go play golf. How is it with you? We have in our hymnal, this, uh, excuse me, in our worship folder this morning, closing hymn of Rock of Ages. I'm not going to sing that this morning, Dave. Forgive me. I've talked about it. I want us to sing the doxology again and think about what we're doing. And let from our minds and our hearts emanate items of praise while we sing. Stand with me, please. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for this day. You are holy, 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 Lord. There is no one like you, Lord. We just thank you for everything you've done, Lord. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ, who died for our sins, Father. We just thank you for the blessing that we've had this day. Lord, as we heard the testimony this morning of Abdullah and the, the information he gave us about being orphaned at 10 years old, Lord, and how you moved in his life, Lord, and, and put someone in his path, a dentist, Lord, that later on he is now a servant of you, serving in Africa, Lord, reaching those that were basically impossible to reach. We thank you for his ministry through a Transworld Radio and through the Bible, Lord, and to hear what's being done in that country through that ministry, Lord, is just amazing, Lord. You are the one that's in control, Lord. You have all the power. Lord, you have the control of the kings, just as it says in Revelations. And you, we thank you so much for your word, Lord. It teaches us, it guides us, and directs us, Lord. And as we heard today, it also convicts us, Father. You teach us in Revelations to how it's a blessing to hear your words and also to take it to heart, Lord, and to apply it to our lives. Father, we pray that we do that, Lord, that we search our hearts, each one of us today, Lord, and see what we need to correct, Lord, what we need to change. Father, as we go to our mission of the week, Caribbean Christian Center for the Deaf, Lord, as we heard from Abdullah earlier, talking about how difficult it is and dangerous and how you are rejected by family from switching from being a Muslim to a Christian. And in Caribbean Christian Center, an organization that reaches deaf children that are also oftentimes abandoned because of physical disability of not being able to hear, Lord. We just pray for that ministry. We pray for an outpouring, Lord, of support, Lord. We just pray that those children will be reached and many others throughout our world, Lord, that need Jesus as their Savior. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity that we have, Lord, to partner with these ministries, Lord. We just pray your blessing upon them. Lord, we ask these things in the name of your precious Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. In his name we pray. Amen.